Welcome back to Pastor's Prophecy Hour, your midweek installment of the Greater Life Church podcast. I'm Landon, and I'm here today with Pastor Andrew to talk about this next episode. Pastor Andrew, what are we going to be talking about in this episode? Well, Landon, in this episode, we're going to be looking at the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 1 talks about these angels in the throne room, and we're going to find out who Ezekiel was and also talk about what that means to us today. There's also a bonus. There's a couple of strange, hard-to-understand scriptures that we're going to throw in on the back end of this episode, and I think everybody's going to really enjoy it. Okay, let's get into it. Tonight, strange scriptures. It's Pastor's Prophecy Hour. We're going to go through prophecy, but we're also going to eke into a couple other scriptures that I don't know about you, but for me, it's like this is just weird kind of stuff. What in the world is going on here? Some of you may be completely satisfied, even relieved with the answers that we get here tonight. Some of you may walk out of here going, well, that still doesn't make sense. At the end of the day, it boils down to this. The Holy Spirit is our best teacher, right? I'll do the best I can to explain to you what people think, and then I'll share with you this is the one that I lean towards, but at the end of the day, again, we are not talking about things that are essential. In other words, we're not talking about salvation, we're not talking about the virgin birth and Jesus dying on the cross and and the resurrection. We're talking about nuances and things in Scripture that are sometimes a little confusing. Before we begin... Let me remind you why it's important to talk about prophecy. In prophecy, in the scriptures, 27% of the Bible verses, the scriptures, 27% of the verses have a prediction about the future. Over 735 separate events are mentioned. Of those 735, 593 have already happened. 81% has taken place. The remaining predictions are all tied to the end of the world. There is only 20 events left that are said to happen before the return of Jesus. Ezekiel, which is one of the books we're looking at tonight, Ezekiel is known as the book with the highest percentage, the most concentration of these future events in prophecy. Three-quarters of the predictions in Ezekiel have already come through to the letter. Statistically speaking, that boils down to a 1 in 75 million chance that that actually happens. How many of you guys know that God doesn't pay attention to statistics? He just does what he does. Amen? But it also confirms our faith, builds our faith to know that 1 in 75 million, and God did it. There's a couple of ways that I want to just kind of share with you that people approach when reading Scripture. And this might be something that you just kind of put in your pocket, keep it for later. Some people read the Bible in a method that we'll call self-centered. In other words, they insert themselves in everything in Scripture. When they read the story of David and Goliath, they're David. Maybe they're weird and they're Goliath. I don't know, they like losing. But at the end of the day... They insert themselves in the scripture. For example, it goes like this. I'm going to read the Bible and wait for something that applies to me. That verse finally, okay, I'm going through that. I finally got to the verse that I needed for my day. Now, I'm not mad at you, but that's kind of like horoscope reading 
let me just get the thing for me and walk away, right? Others read it, others-centered. Preachers are really bad about this. And it's, it's really hard to turn off when I'm reading, reading the Bible. That, ooh, that would be ooh, ooh, ooh. There's three points right there. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And it's really hard. I, I, I need to use that. I need to, I need to preach that. And many times preachers use this method or will read the Bible from this other-centered thing that they're always thinking about what they can share with others as they're reading Scripture. Can I tell you, the, one of the reasons or the main reason or the biggest at the very top of the list reason that we're supposed to read this is not to get what we need, is not to find out what others need, but to find out who God is. So when we read it and we get to the weird parts that we don't really understand, we know that it wasn't about us in the first place. We read it anyway, and we say, God, put that in my heart because there's something about you there that I need to consider. Amen? Now, again, not mad at you. I have went to specific passages of Scripture because it's biblical to go to Scripture to encourage yourself, right? That's okay. The devotions that we have that we pick up that has this specific thing for this specific day and and encourages us, all of that's fine. But if it's too much about us, then we, in essence, have become an idol. John the Baptist is our example in that. Jesus said he was the greatest man that was ever born of woman, right? And yet John the Baptist, as soon as Jesus showed up, he said, well, I got to become less and less so he can become more and more. That's our example. Let me, let me read less and less about me in this and find more and more about you in this. How many of you guys know that you can read the Old Testament and find Jesus all the way through it? <laughs> now, you ready for a little activity? Everybody's got a little whiteboard. These you could take home with you. I've got five left. First five, first five. I got, wow. And then I do have some cardstock paper back there. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. We got to draw this. Here's a couple of scriptures here. We're going to read this together. Get your pens out. How many of you guys are old enough that you still lick the end of the pen? <laughs> that was a quill. You know, you know, that's where it came from. Uh, don't lick the end of the marker. It just, it, anyway. I'm going to read this. We're just going to take a few minutes as an exercise to see what we can come up with. Ezekiel chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Here we go. You can draw. Don't, don't. Don't look at me. You guys draw. You can read it too if you'd like. From the center of the cloud came four living beings that looked human. So don't draw four if you don't want to. Just do one. They're all identical. That looked human except that each had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet had hooves like those of a calf and shone like burnished bronze. Under each of their four wings, I could see human hands. So each of the four beings had four faces and four wings. The wings, this is the hard part, of each living being touched the wings of the beings beside it. Each one moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. All right, the next passage. As I looked... At these beings, I saw four wheels. So you got the beings. Now we got the wheels touching the ground beside them. One wheel belonging to each. The wheels sparkled 
as if made of barrel. All four wheels looked alike and were made the same. Each wheel had a second wheel <laughs> turning crosswise within it. The beam could move in any four directions they faced without turning. They moved the rims of the four wheels, were tall and frightening. They were covered with eyes all around. Okay, you got 90 seconds. Put the first passage up there so you can keep looking at it about the, about the beings. There's the first passage. So let's check this stuff off. Looks human, except a, a couple of small details. It's got the four faces. It's got the four wings. Other than that, it looks human, except, you know, maybe a couple other things. They had hooves. Uh, shined. They were shiny. They had human hands under the wings. Now, while you're drawing, how many of you guys are old enough to remember that movie, Condor Man? Was it Condor Man that we watched? You didn't watch that? That he had like a suit, right? He had a special car? Man. And he had human hands under his wing, remember? He, I think this is, where, this is where the director of that movie. All right, go to the next thing. Let's go to the wheels now. All right, the wings touched each other. They moved around. All right, verse 15. Draw these wheels. They touched the ground. These are easy wheels. They sparkled. I mean, come on, you can do that. Do the little cartoon sparkly thing next to it. They all looked alike, so that's easy. You guys can draw that. And they had a second wheel within a wheel. Now, I'll give you about 60 more seconds to complete your homework assignment. We'll see what you come up with. We're going to pass our papers to the right. We're going to grade it. All right, now, ooh, let me see and show your neighbor. <laughs> Nancy. <laughs> okay, that's not too, the four faces, I love it. I love it. Oh, look at this guy. He's got a blockhead with the faces. Nice. Wow, I want to see, I want to see. Nice. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's actually pretty detailed there. Okay, you stole somebody's idea. I like y'all copied off of each other's paper. Watch these. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Looks pretty close. Oh, this one's a strong one. Very cool. Very cool. All right, show your friends. Everybody laugh at each other. All right. Now let's check this out. That was fun, right? Let's see what some artist renderings look like. We got a few pictures of what the pros do. Check it out. Now, what I want you to do is, I, I, wanna, I want you to figure out which one you like the best. All right, so go to that one. Check that one out. The only problem I have with this one is the, the little fuzzy head on top, the little Q-tip looking. I don't read that in the text, but it's okay, whatever. What else? That's Hollywood for you, right? What about this one? Is that kind of, I mean, it, they look so different between one another. See, we didn't give you the whole throne and all of that, but check this one out. Now, that one's cool. I think, I think that one's pretty cool. Check that one. Now, I kind of, when I think, I kind of think that last one was, was what I would think it would kind of look like. But I think the last one before that is maybe a close second. 
or maybe that one's first. That one's burnished bronze is what, what it says, right? Now, there's a video I found of what biblical angels look like, and these are some of them, so let's, let's watch that. So when you read in Scripture, the Bible says that the angel was there, and the angel says, fear not! <laughs> We're starting to understand why. There's the wheel within a wheel. <laughs> now that one takes the cake right there. So these aren't the ones mentioned. One of them is the one mentioned in Ezekiel, but others are mentioned in other places in Scripture. All right. What do y'all think? Good, good feedback, good feedback. That's why I'm sending y'all to other classes in a couple of weeks. Out of my class. I need to have a place to send the troubled children. You know what, listen, go to Moises' class right now. <laughs> All right. Ezekiel, chapter 1. Ezekiel is a prophet who, I believe it's Zadok, his, his uh, ancestry, but he's, he's in the priesthood. He's in the lineage for the priesthood. On July 31st of my 30th year, according to Levitical priesthood, you begin to serve in your 30th year. And so it's interesting that in his 30th year, let me tell you what was going on in Ezekiel's life. Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel, Jeremiah, and the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon was going on. So the only piece of Israel left was Jerusalem. And when conquering nations would take over, Daniel, for example, when he was taken into captivity, so was Ezekiel also. And when they were taken into captivity, they first would come, and when they would capture a nation, they'd take the best people. Then they'd go back for the next layer, and then they'd keep leaving the poorest behind. So Daniel was on the last road trip out, but he was the best of what was left, and so he was integrated into the leadership of Babylon. We know about Daniel. Ezekiel was also brought in there. Interestingly enough, he was set up to be a priest at age 30, but it's believed that five years before is when he was taken into captivity. But God still called him to ministry in his 30th year. Isn't that cool? Now, who else started their ministry at age 30? Isn't that cool? Ezekiel had three years of ministry in this text, and then he took a break. So it was three years of miracles and ministry that he did, and you can find that in Kings. But what you need to understand is there was two people in Scripture that were referred to as son of man. Ezekiel was one. Jesus was the other. Why is that important? I don't know. I just think it's cool. God is showing Ezekiel something that, for the most part, we've been able to connect Daniel and Zechariah and, and many of the prophecies in the Old Testament to New Testament counterparts. We've been able to kind of draw that line. This particular vision in Ezekiel it's just so out there that I don't really know where to connect it. Does that make sense? 
I know there's a lot of theories out there, but for me, I have, I'm not sold on any of those. So let's look at Ezekiel chapter 1 and see what God showed Ezekiel. On July 1st of my 30th year, while I was with, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, while I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kebar River in Babylon. The Kebar River was basically like a exile camp or kind of like a concentration camp type of setup. Not, not exactly like that, but like people that they put as second rate and they put out there on the outskirts. The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. This happened during the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. The Lord gave the message to Ezekiel, son of Buzi, a priest near the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians, and he felt the hand of the Lord take hold of him. The angels are scary, but to feel the hand of the Lord take a hold of you, I imagine that might have been even scarier. As I looked, I saw a great storm coming from the north, driving before it a huge cloud that flashed with lightning and shone with brilliant light. There was fire inside the cloud, and in the middle of the fire glowed something like gleaming amber or burnished bronze. From the center of the cloud came four living beings and looked human, and we, we've read through that. Verse 10, each had a human face in the front, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, face of an eagle at the back. Each had two pairs of outstretched wings, one pair stretched out to touch the wings of living beings on either side, and the other pair covered its body. They went in whatever direction the Spirit chose, and they moved straight forward in any direction without turning around. The living beings looked like bright coals as fire, brilliant torches. Lightning seemed to flash back and forth among them. And the living beings darted to and fro like flashes of lightning. We read the part about the wheels moving down to verse 19. When the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. When they flew upward, the wheels went up too. The spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. So wherever the spirit went, the wheels and the living beings also went. When the beings moved, the wheels moved. When they stopped, they stopped. When the beings flew upward, the wheels rose up. The spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Verse 22, spread out among them was a surface like the sky. This is that, put that throne one uh, up there with the platform on it, that one. Spread out among them, the living beings stretched out to touch each other's wings, and each had two wings covering his body. As they flew, their wings sounded to me like waves crashing against the shore of a lot, like the voice of the Almighty, or like the shouting of a mighty army. When they stopped, they let down their wings. And as they stood with wings lowered, a voice spoke from beyond the crystal surface above them. Above the surface was something like looked like a throne of blue lapis lazuli. And on this throne, high above, was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. Who's that? <laughs> I believe that is, that is a Christophany, or that is a picture of Christ. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber, flickering like a fire. From his waist down, he looked like burning flame, shining with splendor. All around him was a glowing halo, like the rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. How beautiful. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground, and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. And here's this reference, stand up, son of man. 
So, side note, any vision of the throne room or of the throne of God up to this point has been stagnant or has been still. In this one, we have the wheels that show it moving to and from by the direction of the one who is on the throne, right? Or the spirit that is in the wheels. So some, some people believe that the wheels are different angels in themselves, but to me, the wheels are attached to the angels that are there because they're saying each angel had a wheel. Let me give you a couple of takes on what the faces represent. The first option is that these faces represent the tribes of Israel. The lion being the line of Judah. We find that reference in Genesis 49.9. The bull being the tribe of Ephraim. Now, Jeremiah took the glasses off. Jeremiah 31, verse 18 says, I have heard Israel saying, You discipline me severely like a calf that needs training for the rope, for the, uh, needs training for the yoke. Turn me again to you and restore me, for you alone are the Lord my God. We have this picture of the tribe, the yoke and all of that that goes with that, the bull, the ox, all of those things connected there. Isaiah. A lot of flipping tonight. Isaiah 7. I'm not going to have time to flip. Isaiah 7 verse 9 says, Israel is no stronger than its capital Samaria. Samaria is no stronger than its king. So, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Now, Israel is no stronger than Samaria. Why do I say that? Simply this. The connection is, is that the bull is representative of the tribe of Ephraim, which is the head of Samaria, which is representing the Gentiles. Follow that logic? Remember, this is, this is not my conclusion. This is just something that's out there. Another observation is when you read Zechariah 9, verse 13 and 14 in Ezekiel 1, there's a picture of lightning, and then there's a picture of flames, and both of those things are kind of connected to one another to give another argument or another example where Ephraim and Samaria are connected to the bull. The man and the eagle in this particular context, they go together. The man and the eagle go together because the man represents what? Humanity. The eagle represents God in this way because over and over again in Psalms and even in Isaiah, the biggest Example is we will mount up on eagle's wings, right? He will strengthen us. He will refresh us. And all of that is to the references in Psalms of the eagle's wings being protecting Israel, okay? So that's that take. Option two is that these faces represent the different levels of creation. What does that mean? The bull represent aminal, aminal. Thought I stopped doing that when I was six. Um, the bull representing the animal kingdom, the eagle, of course, representing the birds of the air, and then you've got humans, humanity, and then uh, you've also got the angels represented there as a little bit higher than the humans. The wheeled beings are assigned 
to those four creatures. Now, what is my take on those four faces? I don't know. I kind of lean towards the four faces being a picture of creation as a whole. They represent the, both the four corners of the world, as Scripture says, and the four types of creation, because all creation is submitted to God, right? And so these angels that were created before creation are representative of what now creation is. They're also this picture that no longer is, uh, as Ezekiel seeing this vision, no longer is God relegated to a stagnant place, but the four corners are covered, all of creation is covered, the angels have all these eyes on it, the wheels have all these eyes on it, not only can God go to where you need him, but he can see where you are before he gets there. So it has this kind of picture of who God is and who he is becoming. Ezekiel seeing it, remember, at age 30, in um, kind of like this exile camp, under captivity, and Ezekiel's being reminded that I am still your God, right? We're reading it here today, and it's the same is true, that all of these beautiful pictures and how God is so powerful still represents to us that God is still in control. Now, I want to move past that one and get to 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18. I've got it. These are not prophecies. I just wanted to do them. 1 Peter 3.18 through 21. Let me just read verse 1, and then I'll get down to uh, verse 18. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Now, verse 18. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Kelly's back there going, oh, yeah. <laughs> Y'all, when we first got married, it was funny because I'd be like, you're supposed to submit. It's like, you're supposed to die for me. I'm like, all right, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> uh, scripture is not a weapon. Seriously, if you're using it as a weapon in marriage or any relationship, you're using it wrong. 1 Peter 3.18, that was just a joke. When I saw it, I was like, I got to read it. Show of hands after I read it, if you've ever wondered about this. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God was waiting patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in the terrible flood. And the water is a picture of baptism which now saves you now, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God. A clean conscience is, it is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 19, so he went and preached to the spirits in prison. How many of you guys ever wondered? Nobody's wondered? Let's go to the next one. So for the sake of no one, I guess, here tonight, does anybody want to know about this? Yes. All this work. <laughs> Nobody wants to know. All right, Romans 1.20. The question has come up. Maybe in your life, I know it's come up in mine. 
What, what about all the people that didn't accept Jesus before Jesus came? What, what, what about the people that were nowhere near the ark and couldn't hear Noah going, hey, repent, right? They never walked by the ark. The earth was full of people. What about all them? Anybody ever wondered? Anybody ever been asked? Anybody ever tried to be backed into a corner with that one? Here we go. Romans chapter 120 is all you need, but we'll do a little bit more than that. For ever since the world was created, was that the beginning of time for us? Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. None. They may have never been invited to church. They may have not walked by the ark, but they have no excuse. Creation is enough witness in and of itself. That's argument number one. Man, that's mean. Sorry. This is what it says. Now, here's how good God is. Here's how merciful God is. I'll call it the resurrection detour. There's two things that, and these are all connected because we're going to look at Jude 9 in just a minute. Jesus was preaching to the prisoners. Where are the prisoners? Where are the ones that died before the flood? Well, when you died before Jesus came and got the keys of death, hell, and the grave, before he resurrected from the dead, there was a place called Sheol. It was a holding place. We read about it in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We also know about it from all of the references throughout the Old Testament to Hades and Sheol, these different words that mean spirit realm or something otherworldly. Scripture even talks about it being in the center of the earth. How many of you guys grew up believing that hell was in the center of the earth? You're partially right. Because there is a place... I believe, and I believe Scripture says it again and again, there is a physical place or a spiritual place here on earth that is a holding place up until Jesus came. For those people that have died, Jesus painted a beautiful picture that it's not all bad and it's not all good. There's, good, there's the good side called paradise, Abraham's bosom, and then there's the bad side called Hades, which is your suffering. It is not the final resting place for those that have rejected God. That is the lake of fire that comes later on. Now, here is where Jesus finds himself potentially preaching to the prisoners in this holding place. Preaching is not necessarily, I'm going to go down there and exhort some scripture or go through the law. It is an encouragement. Now, he went and preached to the prisoners. The prisoners were on the bad side. With me? So, my take on it, as best as I can see, is that Jesus made his way into this holding place. Evangelists have often preached that Jesus died and that while he was dead, he marched into hell and he kicked open the gate and he took the devil by the neck. I don't think he needs to do any of that. 
While he was here walking the earth, every demon-possessed person practically would say, hey, leave us alone. So can you picture Jesus just entering into that place and the devil scattering like cockroaches, right? I ain't here for y'all. I'm going to talk to these people over here. Now, that's my take on it. That's what I believed happened. Am I going to be out of heaven if I'm wrong? No. Now, I might get pulled to the side. Listen, man, you missed that one. You need to. <laughs> I cannot find any other understandable option. Make sense? It's the people that died in the flood. It's the prisoners in this holding place. And he went and preached to these prisoners. If you guys want to be mad at somebody, talk to Peter when you get to heaven. He put it in there. Now, of course, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jude verse 9. This one is the whole... Jude is full of craziness. Awesome stuff. Jude verse 9. Even Michael, one of the mightiest of archangels, the mightiest of angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil over Moses' body. What? Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 5 and 6, we read that Moses died at age 120. That's awesome. The Bible tells us that he was full of life. His eyes were bright. His time was up. I said, okay. The Bible tells us that God buried Moses somewhere where nobody could find him. Why? Many people believe that if the Israelites, as hard-nosed and hard-headed as they were, they worship everything other than God, if they were able to track down Moses' body, they'd probably put him up on some kind of a pedestal and dance around him. I don't know. Many people believe that God did that so they wouldn't get caught up worshiping Moses. They would worship him. Now, where did he bury him? Many people do believe that nearby was an area that was known as a deeply spiritual area area, a burial ground, a spiritual burial ground of sorts. Ezekiel 39, 11 talks about the sea that is likely the Dead Sea in this area. It's a region that was known for cults and the cults of the dead specifically. It's a region also that can be tied, if you do a lot of homework on it, to Gog and Magog. The bottom line is many Old Testament scholars do believe that Moses potentially could have been buried in the gateway or the door to Sheol, which is the place we were just talking about where all those prisoners were. Now, why is that important? At the end of the day, he was in this holding place, and now Moses' body was being raised. Why? was Moses' body needed. Now remember, 
Today, we believe that Scripture teaches that when we die, we are immediately in spirit present with Jesus. This was not the case for Old Testament believers and people before Jesus, before the cross, before the resurrection, which means Matthew chapter 17. Verse 3, suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Wait a second. God buried Moses somewhere where nobody knew. So how did he get out? Because Jesus hadn't died and rose yet. Well, God called him out early. The devil didn't like that, which is the Lord of the dead, which is the keeper of Sheol. No, you can't have him. There was a legal dispute. The word in Jude that talks about fighting over the body is a legal connotation. So God called forth Moses because, hey, you got to go hang out with Jesus at this thing. So I'm calling you early. Right? I mean, it sounds silly, but this is the only thing that I can figure out. So the devil doesn't want to do it. But how many of you guys know he has to do what God says? So the devil said, hey, go get my boy, Michael. Handle it. And he goes, hey, uh, we're going to need Moses. All right. How many of you guys feel a little bit behind the eight ball when we talk about spiritual nuances and things like this I mean I'm just thinking this would make a great movie if they could figure out how to do it but I'm telling you it's in here Michael fought with the devil over Moses's body what when what is that all about Matthew 17 it's Jesus it's Elijah which we know didn't die right it's Jesus it's Elijah and Mo hey, Mo how'd you get there? I thought you were buried where nobody knew because Moses had been advanced his glorified body, right? The other option is this, which I don't think is as likely. The other option is that this dispute took place. I, I don't know. It's just cool to me that could Jesus have known all this was happening on the way to the transfiguration? He gets this Holy Spirit nudge that, hey, man, there's a problem with Moses' body. We're going to have it taken out. Well, I mean, we're going to have it taken care of by the time you get to the mountain. Good to go. Hey, just so you know, we got Moses. He's ready. As soon as you get there, Elijah, Moses, they're ready to go. Good to go. I mean, it's just nowadays we would get a text. Hey, Moses is here. You know, hey, he's running behind. Oh, we got it. He's here. I mean... Matthew chapter 27, I wonder if it happened here, because this is another one of those verses that always makes you go, huh? Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 50, Jesus shouted again, he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, appeared to many people. Now, I don't think it happened then, but it could have. 
Moses was godly, yes? I think it happened at transfiguration. It sounds more fun to me. Now, can you just for a moment picture your Sunday dinner? There's an earthquake. And for me, it's my crazy granny named Mary. There's an earthquake, and in walks my crazy granny Mary. How'd you? That's what people experienced. Dead people came to life. Why? Because Jesus was raised on the third day, but he beat death right when he died. He gave it up. And as soon as he said, it is finished, then the power of death was no longer on him. You with me? Being raised from the death was a powerful thing physically that now manifested itself and everybody saw. But when he said, it is finished, it was finished. And Paul reminds us without the resurrection, nothing worked. But there was no doubt in anybody's mind in the spirit realm that Jesus was going to come back. Right? Now, next week, Moses is doing his thing. After that, we're going to be going through Revelation. Some of you went through that the last time we did it. And so you have options to choose from. I'll be giving you a timeline. We'll put it up here. We're going to be going through all the trumpets and seals and all that kind of stuff. It's going to take us probably six, eight weeks or something like that to go through that. But it'll it'll be a fun activity. And as current events come along, I'll talk about those things and share those things with you. You with me? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have. Thank you for all that you're doing. And Lord, I also thank you for the strong men that are about to help us stack chairs. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a five-star rating and review. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to Pastor's Prophecy Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear more from Greater Life Church, including our Sunday morning services, go to our website, greaterlife.church.